0: Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 74 movies, one cage. Today's movie is Leaving Las Vegas from 1995. I'm Joey Lewandowski.
1: And I'm Mike Manzi.
0: And this movie is the reason that to this day we can call him... Academy Award winner, Nicholas Cage.
1: Yes, and uh, a well-deserved Academy Award winner, Nicolas Cage.
0: He also won the Golden Globe. He won the Golden Globe and Academy Award for Best Actor in a Drama, or in a Best Actor in a Motion Picture. This film was also nominated for Best Actress for Elizabeth Shue, Best Director for Mike Figgis, and Best Adapted Screenplay, because it's based on a book by John O'Brien, who I think the book is sort of based on his life, and we just read sort of sadly that he actually killed himself, the writer of the, the book killed himself two weeks after the movie went into production. And so this movie almost never happened, because the director thought it was, he, he weighed the pros and cons, and then decided that making the movie would serve as a good memorial to author John O'Brien.
1: Yeah, that's quite unfortunate, because... I've- you, I don't know, uh, sometimes you would imagine writing about a situation that you're suffering through may help you actually get through that situation, you know, and, you know, one can wonder, did he, you know, try and work something out while writing this book, if it is, in fact, based on parts of his life, and it's just sad that, you know, it wasn't helpful.
0: But I am really glad, I, th- I mean, that's always a difficult decision, and it ultimately came down to the director and probably the studio. But I do think it was the right call because we have this, like, it's an amazing, amazing movie. Tremendous all around in terms of the acting, the directing, everything. It, like, immortalizes this guy's story, his writing, for all time. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's this piece of art that even people, and we've talked about it in several other movies, that even, even people who hate Nicolas Cage or talk down to him or, like, lump him in and say all of his movies are terrible... Like, this one is objectively, you know, according to the Academy, according to everything, like, this is, like, a legitimately great, great movie.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. You know, even if it's a difficult movie and, you know, (laughs) hard to watch it sometimes, but the writing, the acting, the cinematography, you know, everything just works together really well. They achieved what they set out to do while making this, and, you know, it's extremely powerful. It's a strong story, and I'm really glad they went through with making this because, you know... It's like a warning to a degree, and alcoholism, it's a plague, you know, in this country, around the world, and, you know, this movie is drawing attention to that, among other things.
0: So the movie stars Nicolas Cage as Ben Sanderson, who is apparently, according to the plot summary, a screenwriter. I sort of got the the sense that he was just like a movie executive. He's involved with making movies, whether he's a screenwriter or not. He's fired from his job, and before the movie begins, his wife leaves him. And he decides that he's going to move to Las Vegas and drink himself to death. And when he gets to Las Vegas, he meets Elizabeth Shue's character, Sarah, who is a basically, I mean, as cliche as it sounds, she's really like a hooker with a heart of gold, right?
1: Yeah, she's the real pretty woman. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> if Pretty Woman was the film version, this is, like, the real gritty version of
0: that. What's really, like, amazing about this movie is that for the first half of the movie, there's a third character. There's Elizabeth Shue's pimp played by Julian Sands, this guy named Yuri. But really, for the second half of the movie, I mean, they interact with people, but it's pretty much just Cage and Shoe doing their thing and carrying this movie just the two of them.
1: Yeah, and I was even a little surprised at the amount of of Elizabeth Shue's character that we got. You know, I I think we got more of her than I was expecting to even. I thought the focus was going to be central on on Nick Cage's character. It's a really self-contained story, you know? It's like the bare minimum you need to tell the story.
0: And going back to what you were just saying about spending time focusing on Elizabeth Shue, at the end of the movie, like there's like a 15 minute stretch where just Cage isn't in it and we just follow her. I think it's a testament to not only her acting but also the writing that like it's as compelling, if not even more compelling the time when Cage is on screen. you know what I mean like it's this character who's not necessarily well, I guess this is a good question like who is the movie about because the movie follows Cage, but it's also intercut between Elizabeth Shu talking to like a psychiatrist and she's talking about her relationship with Cage. So do kind of, you think it's her movie or his movie or is it just like really like an even kind of split?
1: Ultimately, it's about Ben, the Nick Cage character, and the way that he ends up affecting this person. You know what I mean? Like even okay. when he's not in the film, we're seeing her react to being in his life and thinking about him and worrying about him. And so it's like all these side effects of knowing him. While he's not even on screen, I feel like you see the effect of him in her life. Like sure. yeah, like he's he's even there when he's not. You know, we have a good stretch in the opening, fifteen minutes of Nick Cage and getting to know him and, you know, seeing him drinking and losing his job and, and then we get the title screen. Of leaving las vegas
0: i love that yeah
1: so that's really great like you're immersed in the movie and then it starts
0: going back to that delayed intro card like i just love like the last time we saw this was in raising arizona where it's basically like a 10 minute intro we see him spending lots of money on alcohol embarrassing co-workers failing to hit on women making a fool of himself in public then getting fired from his job and we really get a sense of like how much of disarray. This man's life is in and then when he gets fired, he just makes a decision that he's gonna move to Las Vegas, he's gonna burn everything he owns, throw the rest away, and move to Las Vegas. The delayed title it's it's so Great, like you almost forget that, like you haven't seen it, and then you're like, oh, like okay, now like now we're gonna buckle up because now like the movie is gonna begin. Everything that led up to this was getting us ready, and now like the real stuff's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, that's that's that's
1: right. And it because it feels like everything is so intense already. How are they, you know? And now we start. Now the real movie starts, and it's like, oh man, like <laughs> I'm already a little spent after what I just watched for 15 minutes. When it starts, like the first shot is him dancing through the aisles of. The liquor store yeah and like just the contrast of that knowing where this story's going he's like celebrating almost this act of like suicide right it's like a yeah. slow suicide this this mission that he's on and so like right from the start i'm hooked right away and you know just cage's physical acting and this is amazing Um, when he shows up at that dinner to talk to his friends the executives he's he's sweating and gagging and you know he can barely compose himself when he's got the shakes and things like that like it's it's really intense
0: he kind of looks like a reanimated skeleton for a lot of this like the makeup in this is tremendous he only looks like relatively normal or like passable for normal for like brief stretches he goes through the cycle of withdrawal where he bottoms out and he needs to get alcohol, he drinks and sort of like gets like a little bit of relief. There's like a little minor, maybe in terms of the time in the movie, like or in terms of like the real life, of like his his life in the movie, like an hour stretch where like he looks good and feels good, and then he just keeps going and then just crashes. And it's a cycle that returns, and it's only during that like one hour stretch that like he looks like the Nicholas Cage we've come to know and love. Other than that, he ha- he has like real deep dark bags under his eyes his hair is frazzled like you're saying he's sweating He's a man who needs help.
1: Yeah, the, he's he's like pale and sickly, and very obvious that there's you know something wrong with this guy. Yeah. And you're right, like he's got like that one hour sweet spot where he can function, okay, and like that's where he's always trying to get, I guess, you know, every day. He's just like Walking Dead in this movie, you know. And I think that's the point, right? I mean, like he's gonna drink himself to death. This is the body, like he's pickling himself, you know, like basically like replacing all of his blood with alcohol and I don't know all the life is just like drained from his face and his body
0: it starts off and he goes to he shows up at a restaurant to talk to those executives including Richard Lewis famed actor Richard Lewis and he's asking for money
2: Ben I can't help you anymore do you understand hey, here please this is the last time I promise I just need some cash tonight yeah. not, how are you I lost my credit cards the money's going to be on your desk first thing in the morning scouts are how's the new don't one coming come? along there you got Dicky gear and, and the whole bit. That is great, yeah, man. That's yeah, great. Yeah,
3: I got everybody in the movie. Look, I'm sick.
2: This is all I have in cash, huh? Please. Please, don't drink it in here. Huh? Yes, that's fine, Peter. I'll messenger it over to you in the morning, huh? No, no. I don't want
0: it. I don't want it. And look, I think it would be the best thing if you don't contact me again. And a little bit of a Cage connection, they're, they're, you know, they're movie executives, they're in the business of making movies, and he's like, oh, I hear you got Dickie Gear. you know, I'm Richard Gear. I heard that you got him for the next movie. I thought to myself, oh man, like, maybe these guys are making The Cotton Club, <laughs> and they got Richard Gear, and they're going to get some other Nicholas Cage to play that role, and that's all I could think. And I, 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 it's so stupid, but I love that idea.
1: Uh, I'm going to say that's awesome. It would have been hilarious if he was like, oh, you got Dickie Gear and Nicky Coppola or <laughs> something like that too, you know? And it was supposed to be based in reality.
0: He's sort of desperate there. This is before he's fired. This is before he gets a very generous buyout. But what what really makes me wonder in terms of like his mental state, and maybe he's just killing time, but the next scene we see him at a bar, and it seems like he's a regular at this bar, And the bartender knows exactly how to handle him. And he's like hitting on a girl and it's going very, very poorly. And she's very clearly not into him because even like as charming as Nicholas Cage can be, he's just like a disaster in this movie and she sees right through it. What's your name?
4: Terry.
2: Terry, I am going to buy you a drink. No, I am going to buy you a drink. Bud, please buy the lady a drink and another one for you. I'm Benjamin. Ben. Benny Goodman, that's me. I think you're sexy. That's right. You are sexy. Look at those eyes. Meow sexy like a kitty cat. You turn me on. You turn me on. You're not too tall. You're not too short. You're not too round. You're like a cat. The cat in the hat. Look at you. Look at those eyes. Honest to God, those eyes. You're luminescent, baby. You are lum. What? What? You've been drinking all day. But of course... Speaking of drinks, here is yours. Sound that hatch. And uh, here's my cheers. Come on. There we go. Yes? Let's do it. To it. I just thought of an amazing concept. What do you say we finish these and we go back to my apartment on the beach? Throw a movie in the VCR, mix you up a gooey blender drink. Hey, Sound good? Sounds sexy. Hey
0: Ben. I wonder if he's like doing this because, like, is he trying to get his life back on track, or just something to do while he's slowly before he moves to Vegas, but while he's drinking himself to death. What's his goal in this scene?
1: This scene, like, was one of those moments where I realized, okay, it's gonna be funny and then uncomfortable and then super awkward. You know, like that's almost gonna be. We're gonna get. Kind of a lot of that in this movie and this is the first example of that and i was like well he's actually like this is his this, he's hitting on her you know like he's feeling good he's had a few drinks right like he's okay you know mentally he's on top he's gonna try and just hit on this woman i think and his game is just that bad because you know he's been married for so long or he's just so drunk he can't come up with anything else to impress her with i
2: really wish you'd come home with me You're so cute. And I'm really good in bed too, believe me. And you smell great and you look great. Your hair's great. No? Okay.
4: Okay, I gotta wake up early in the morning. Um, I have to go. Thank you.
0: Maybe you shouldn't drink so much. Maybe I shouldn't breathe so much, Terry. Ha-ha! He fails to pick her up. He goes to a strip club.
1: Oh man, he chugs like a fifth of bourbon or something.
0: So on his way to the strip club, he's drinking vodka. Just like drinking and driving like a huge, you know, like a liter of vodka. And then the cop pulls up next to him. And he's still like sort of with it enough to like play it off. And the cop drives away and he goes right back to drinking. And then he drinks that whole fifth of bourbon or whatever at the strip club. And he tells the stripper that the concept of surrender fits with the big picture right now. He's just sort of babbling nonsense. But, like, this is sort of the first sense that we get that, like, he just wants to give up. Like, his life is over. We're going to find out in a little bit later what that means. But this is the point, I think, where he first vocalizes, at least we hear him first vocalize, that he's done. His, this life is over. He just He just wants to give up right now.
1: Yeah, I sort of saw this as, like, the first kind of threshold that he passes when he just starts chugging. That's the way he'll drink, pretty much, for the rest of the movie. Like, he doesn't sip anymore. He's just gonna just just chug it down as much as he's gonna binge drink. There's so (laughs) so much going on here that, you know, I'm sticking back to... This movie is based on a novel, and what I like about it is it doesn't try and use any voiceover or anything like that. really just left with this mystery of what... What's going on inside his head? And this yeah. is one of those first moments where he's driving in the car and after the strip club and he's just kind of screaming and there's no sound. He's tortured, you know, no matter what is going on. It's all about losing his wife and his kid. I think all the rest of the women in the movie are just sort of, like he says later, like a luxury, you know, on the road to death.
0: Even like the simplest things in his life cause him a lot of trouble. Like he's trying to get a, a check cashed at the bank. And he's like, he's shaking so bad from withdrawal, like his life is just in shambles right now. And he can't even sign the check and he has to like make up a lie that he just had brain surgery. He's not able to cash the check. Uh, he's at work and he's like holding the phone upside down, <laughs> like, which is, which, is, which is really funny. But it's just like, it's, it's just another example of like how he's just losing his grasp on reality. And I mean, there are funny moments where, you know, it's, it is him like, taking a very important call with the phone upside down. Or when he goes back into the bank and he's talking to the recorder, he's got like a little tape recorder, I guess as a screenwriter in Los Angeles is stereotypically known to do. And he's just like dictating what he wants to do to this bank teller in front of all these other people. Are you desirable? Are
2: you irresistible? Maybe if you drank bourbon with me, it would help. Maybe if you kissed me and I could taste the sting in your mouth, it would help. If you drank bourbon with me naked, if you smelled of bourbon as you fucked me, it would help. It would increase my esteem for you. If you poured bourbon onto your naked body and said to me, drink this. If you spread your legs and you had bourbon dripping from your breasts and your pussy, and said, drink here, then I could fall in love with you, because then I would have a purpose To clean you up and that, that would prove that I'm worth something. I'd lick you clean so that you could go away and
1: fuck someone else.
0: You just like see how rough a time in life he's having. Like, nothing is easy for him anymore yeah he he's
1: not a good writer anymore you know like that's how it kind of comes across like maybe he lost his touch and that's why he started drinking on top of his you know personal issues but it doesn't feel like he's sharp you know and i I think that that was the scene at the bank where he's giving this bourbon speech to himself to me it kind of just sounded like something a drunk person you know like it just kind of sounded like drunken rambling i
0: think that kind of brings up like an interesting point like we've talked about in cage club how he's able to blend like drama and comedy and can do either really really well and i was trying to think of like what other actors could come close to delivering this kind of performance because it's such a dark heavy bleak movie and topic and subject a lot of it is funny because he is able to like really embody the character. And sort of find the way for you to like empathize, like you feel bad for him, but you're also laughing because he's making it entertaining. And I came up with Sam Rockwell and Robert Downey Jr., but like I couldn't think of anybody else, and I think that really is sort of a testament to how good of an actor he is. But I mean, is there anybody else that you've thought of that or that you can think of now that you think could do a performance like this?
1: Not necessarily, no. I mean I think you gave two really prime examples there I could see both of those guys getting close to this but there is just something about the way I don't know maybe it's because we've seen Cage and everything he's done so far so we know like all of his little tricks to a degree you know like we see what he's like when he gets crazy we see how he can be funny and and he brings those to this role as well you know like I don't know like the humor is so black and so dark that it has to come from the actor inside I feel you know what I'm saying like that's yeah. I feel like there's so few people who could pull like this role off. Like I feel like if he hadn't done certain movies that we've seen him in like he couldn't pull from that repertoire when he has to go from 0 to 60 or if he has to play 0 miles per hour for an entire scene, you know, like there are just things that he can do as an actor, like levels of intensity that he can sustain that I don't I don't know, man. I don't think a lot of people could have done this. It almost feels like written for him in a way.
0: I I didn't read anything that like it was written for him, but it, it does feel like that way like there's not very many actors who could do this and i really wonder if like if they didn't have such a committed great actor for the part after the writer had died if they would have continued you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. you need to make sure that like when you make the decision to make the movie when it could be argued that you shouldn't make the movie that you have all the best possible parts you have a cage and you have an elizabeth shoe and they can totally mail it but if you have, like, less competent actors, like maybe Cage couldn't do it, and they have somebody else, I wonder if you really continue making the movie, or if you pass on the project at that point. He's just so
1: natural in a lot of this. Like, I'm not a big drinker, you know, I, I don't drink a lot, but, you know, there have been times where I've drank into excess, right? And you know where you get that slurred speech, or on the point of blacking out, and he nails that in this, you know? Like, he just is so on point, I can't see anyone else playing it.
0: So apparently, and this is a little bit of trivia, to get ready for the role, he would film himself drunk and study his speech patterns, which is like a simple little job, and I mean, think it's sort of funny, you know, preparing for a role, just like, drink a little bit too much and film yourself and then watch yourself the next morning. And he would also visit many hospitalized career alcoholics. So, like, he really sort of dug deep, but, like, he does, like you were saying, like, really, really nail that speech pattern he's he's just so good and committed to the part
1: especially i feel after seeing a show like drunk history you know where you're actually <laughs> seeing real drunk people try and tell stories and act and stuff like you know how hard it is to drunk act or to act like you're drunk you know i, I feel like most of the times that's taking place in comedies for comedic effect when people are trying to sneak around and they're drunk and things like that and you sort of hardly get this type of alcoholic performance you know a lot of the alcoholics in cinema history are sort of just portrayed as abusive brutes and stuff but this is like the lonely guy you know like this is the guy who's digging a deep hole and not looking to come out of it anytime soon i don't know it's just like a different type of alcoholic that uh i don't think we're kind of used to seeing it's more along the lines of realistic
0: so it's really like at this point in the movie that we see the title card we're in las vegas there's like a helicopter intro they're getting like aerial shots of las vegas and i was wondering if al cerullo our boy al cerullo was flying the helicopter but i don't think he was he's not credited this movie we see elizabeth Shue and she's at work and she for all intents purposes is like really good at what she does she's describing to her psychiatrist she's like an equation like things just sort of work out she's in las vegas she came from los angeles along with her pimp Ages at home, burning his stuff. So Lonely Teardrops is playing in the background. And like he's so committed to what he's about to do that he even burns his passport. He burns pictures of his family. And we find out in one of his little drunken speeches, I think maybe to that hooker that he picks up. I, I don't remember. He's talking to somebody and he says, I don't know if she left me because I started drinking or if I started drinking because she left me. Probably not too long ago this guy had a relatively normal life and then everything just went away and he lost everything that he loved in his life.
1: Something bad happened pretty recently from my account of the situation because he just goes at it so hard from the start. It just feels like the day after he, his wife left him. I love the song and the use of Lonely Teardrops because it's such a contrast in and of itself. Like it's this really upbeat, happy tune about a guy talking about a girl that left him you know like he's all alone again but it's like one of the happiest sounding songs in the world so it again is going to sort of represent the main character to to a degree where you know he's all alone he's smiling through this whole horrible situation
0: i think it could also be argued like it it does work so well because it is so you know against the grain and so counterintuitive and it just clashes with the scene but i think it also makes sense here because this is sort of the happiest that he is in the movie Like, he just made the decision that he was going to go to Las Vegas and drink himself to death. So now he has a purpose, right? And so he's like... He, he has a plan, and even though that plan is to die, he's happy. You know what I mean? So, like, it, it sort of makes sense there is a happy song, because he's doing things, he's getting things accomplished. He's about to move out to Las Vegas, get on with what remains of his life.
1: And this stuff with uh, Sarah, the prostitute, right, played by yeah. uh, Elizabeth Shue, she skipped out on Yuri. Like, she left L.A., and he followed her to Vegas, because he gets in a little hot water for being missing. I, I was kind of confused at first by like her therapy sessions but i kind of chalk that up to adapting a novel like we need to sort of hear inside of one of these characters heads at some point so this was yeah kind of a like nice device to do that with
0: before you were saying that like we don't get voiceover for cage and this is sort of the closest it comes to movie conventions in terms of adapting a novel i'm totally okay with it because we don't really get inside her head otherwise so i like that we sort of have a little bit of deeper insight there
1: yeah like i said before i was not expecting this much elizabeth shu but this sort of helped me like the character a little more i don't know like because there's a moment where she's telling her therapist like she can be anyone she's an actress like she brings out the best in men when she has sex with them and then it cuts to her like having sex with yuri and it's nothing like that like it's the complete opposite he's in total control, like, he's a complete, like, he's just pounding away at her, like, there's nothing sensual about it whatsoever, and she's completely trapped, like, she's got no control whatsoever. So, I sort of liked what these little moments we're doing, you know, like she would say something to her therapist and then I'd be like, Oh, is like is she lying or not? And like throughout the rest, like as the movie went along, she almost started coming clean with herself more and more.
0: I guess there's a little bit of deception that she puts herself through that she has this really horrific job to sort of to get through the day or to make it seem like her life is kind of worthwhile, right? Just to make her she has to prop herself up. And so she's telling these lies. And then we see the reality, and it's nothing like it. And so it's really like how she presents herself to the world as opposed to how the world really treats her. It's heartbreaking. I mean, these are two very, very broken people... In, like very different ways and they kind of complete one another
1: yeah i think it helped me empathize with her a little more as opposed to if i had just seen her story without those therapy sessions and i think in the same way that doing cage club like i've gotten used to and gotten to know you know nick cage and all this and like now i just feel bad to see him go through you know what i'm saying? like i'm projecting the actor on the character and like yeah. i just don't want to see him do this to himself and like it just bothersome on a, on a whole other level
0: it's it's rough i mean we we love this guy we've seen him in like You know, really happy movies, and now he's like at his lowest point. It's kind of weird in his career that he's about to enter the biggest blockbuster, sort of like the most brainless, just most action-packed exciting movies but like right before we get there you're hanging like a piece of candy but like before you eat that piece of candy like i'm gonna punch you in the gut like you're gonna you're gonna suffer through this because like before you can get your your just desserts you have to eat your vegetables and like these are like great great vegetables because it's a great movie but we're so close to like exciting wonderful action cage and he just, like, he hits his lowest point. Or I guess you could also say it's his highest point, right? Yeah,
1: it's pretty amazing. Like, this movie is sort of the culmination of, like, all of his work, you know? Like I was sort of saying before, I feel like he pulls from a lot of performances that we've seen before. You know, little bits of here and little bits of there. It's just, I mean, if he didn't win the Academy Award, one wonders, will he would he have gone on to keep going? Would he have gone back to romantic comedies? Would he have kept going with this hard drama? But since he won the award, he got that... Hollywood bump, you know, like he got to go on and, be the action blockbuster star. I mean, they just asked him, like, what kind of actor do you want to be now? And he's like, well, let's let's like make me a blockbuster action star and see what happens, yeah. you know? And like, and it worked. I don't know. It's interesting. Like, Halle Berry comes to mind because she won the Academy Award for an extremely dramatic role and then, you know, the next thing she released was Catwoman. Not the, <laughs> I'm not saying it was a good movie, but, you know, it was an action film. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. it sort of gives you that clout to do other types of projects you might not have been considered for. And I don't think we considered <laughs> him an action star until he told us he was an action star in the next movie
0: going back a few movies and go- looking forward a few movies we've seen him in rom-coms we've seen him in like sort of dumb lowest common denominator comedies we've seen him in oscar-winning performances we're gonna see him in action performances like no matter what kind of movie you like there's something for you to like about his career
1: yeah and like we always say he just fits Into each of these genres, you know, they find a way to use. Like, usually in the crime movies, he's the bad guy, right? Like, usually in the comedies, he's the moral center. You know, it's really funny how how Hollywood has figured out how to sort of you know market him.
0: So he he rolls into Las Vegas, and the first thing he does in Las Vegas is he almost runs over Elizabeth's shoe with his car, and she's like, Hey, like, how hard is it? Like, I'm I'm walking here, and she like flips him off and walks away, and you're like, Oh man, like that's small world. (laughs) And like, what's kind of funny is that like later in the movie, she spends a lot of time looking. Looking for him, like he just sort of goes out and does his drunkard thing, and she's looking for him to sort of to complete her, but also to make sure he's okay. She has a really tough time finding him. It's it's almost like when she's not looking for him, that like he's just drawn to her. Yeah,
1: they have probably the ultimate meet cute in film history, where <laughs> where he <laughs> almost runs her over and, and she flips him off. Uh, but I was thinking about that too. About you know, Vegas isn't exactly the biggest city, and I guess. I mean, I'm sure it was loaded. It's always been loaded with tourists. You're probably right. It's, but she she seems to know her way around Vegas and would know where to sort of look for a guy like him. You know, he tended to hang out in the less exclusive sections of town. One would say, and that's sort of her stomping ground. Yeah, I don't know, but you're right. I, I think the movie is is doing that intentionally. Like she sort of gives up looking for him, and there he is. Like maybe it's just the movie.
0: He goes to settle into like basically like you know a flea bag motel, and they do a little bit of. Speaking of Catwoman, different Catwoman, but it's sort of like a little Batman Returns. The name of the motel is the whole year in, and he sees it as the whole year in. And <laughs> it just reminded me of in Batman Returns, in Michelle Pfeiffer's apartment, it says hello there. When she becomes Catwoman, she like whips out a couple letters and says Hell here. Yeah. <laughs> just like you know, two different ways of looking at the same sign. So it's just weird that you talked about Catwoman before. And he gets like this
1: incredible look of satisfaction across his face too, yeah. and he like jumbles the letters across and like reworks it he's like man like i'm a writer i'm clever i'm doing the right thing and all this stuff. yeah and and like all of his luggage is just bottles in his suitcase and stuff too like that is some awesome imagery
0: and he sets out for like a night on the town and he comes across a little shoe.
2: are you working
4: working what do you mean working i'm walking
0: Yeah. just wait one second
2: Right ass Want some? It's
4: illegal to drink and drive.
2: That's pretty funny. I wonder if you'll take $250 uh, to fuck me. That is, uh, if you'll come to my room for one hour, I will give you $500. You're pretty drunk. Not really. My room's not far, it's uh, the whole year in. You can drive with me uh, if you want, or or we can walk. Or I can give you money for cab fare.
4: In the car. Julie, whatever you want. Why don't you give me the money in the car? I'm Ben. I'm Sarah.
2: Sarah,
0: with an H,
4: with an E, -E S-E-R-A, Sarah.
0: And so they, they head back to his hotel room. You really wonder, I mean, we talk about it every episode, if he's going to have like a woman. And it's really kind of amazing considering how close they are, like, you know, romantically, emotionally, spiritually, how quickly that happens and the profession that she's in that they really don't do much in the way of compromising each other until the very, very end. And I I mean, that's sort of the whole point. Like, she really wants to, and he's just not in that mindset. It's a really kind of cool unique approach a unique story that like they're not just having sex the whole movie and doing other things like you sort of have to build up to it
1: yeah and it really catches her off guard because that's not her job you know <laughs> like she's sort of just there to do her job at first and is, he kind of blindsides her when he's like no i just want you to talk you know let's just hang out and spend time with me i just need like an extra body in the room so
4: ben with an N <laughs> brings you to las vegas Business convention?
3: No. I came here to drink myself to death. Cashed in all my money. Paid my Amex card. And I sell the car tomorrow.
4: So, how long is it gonna take for you to? drink yourself to death.
3: I think about four weeks. I don't know for sure, but I think... I got enough for about $250, $300 a day.
4: That should do it. What am I? A luxury?
3: Yes. You're a luxury? And your meter just ran out. It's
4: a nice watch.
3: You do like
4: it? Yes. You can talk a little bit more. I don't have to be anywhere.
1: They drink and talk and she just kind of falls asleep, like naturally. And I don't think she was expecting that to ever happen. And that might be... One of the reasons like they fall for each other so quickly, I think she falls for him. In his drunken haze, I think he just comes to appreciate her at first and you know, she keeps coming around and then eventually I think he falls hard for her.
0: Her falling asleep that night really gets her into trouble because she's like, Yuri, I don't have the money like it was a tough night, like she's lying to him. He like he says he has to go out on the town and that's when she meets up with Arlie Ermi from Full Metal Jacket. She's like, hey, what brings you to Las Vegas? Like, the, the, the most common, I guess, apparently, you know, way for hookers to offer themselves at the job. Like, hey, you in town for the convention?
1: That was pretty funny. Like, I felt that one or two times this movie just used what the common man might just think like a
0: prostitute is. <laughs> like, because, like,
1: every single <laughs> prostitute has the same line. Like, you in for the convention, you in for the convention. Like, I get it. Like, <laughs> you know, that's one of the ways they work. I mean, maybe that's the black comedy seeping through, right? As, as like, everyone thinks they're so clever with that line, yet everyone uses that line.
0: But also, I guess, knowing Las Vegas, it makes sense because there is literally always a convention in town. It's it's sort of small talk and, like, it leads and you can quickly sort of get a sense of, like, what they're, like, what the guy is looking for. It, I guess it does make sense and it's sort of an easy-ish way, but it does not work at all for her here. Yeah,
1: I think there's, like... I'm just saying there's more than one code word
0: than <laughs> sure. the convention is. But,
1: yeah, Arlie Ermy actually looks like he is there, and I think he even says he's there for the convention, and it's, like, a genuine misunderstanding <laughs> on, on her part. I'm surprised she even targets this guy in the first place, but I guess, like, you know, Yuri said, you know, get the lead out, times are tough, so... <laughs>
0: Then Cage runs into Yuri, like, they don't know each other, and they're both at that pawn shop, right? And He's just trying to get a little bit extra money, and Yuri's like, times are times are tough for Yuri. Like, he's got some pretty bad guys coming for him, and he's just trying to make whatever money he can. The pawn shop guy is really trying to talk Yuri down. He's like, he's trying to sell, he's like, come on, man, like, it's not gold-plated, it's actual gold. Like, give me more money. And then Cage just walks in and just accepts the first offer. Mm-hmm. Like, two very different people, like, both really very close to death one of them without really knowing just two people on very different trajectories in life like one trying to like scrape and fight the other guy who's just a much happier person because he's accepted like he's just given up
1: yeah this is like it reminded me of moments like in that movie Crash where the paths cross like that just fleetingly this is great because yeah you have Yuri who will do anything to live you know he's looking for any way not to get killed by these guys after him and then you have Ben who's just wants to die so like he just has doesn't have a care in the world at this point it's really crazy to see them at share a scene i didn't i was not expecting them to share a scene together but i'm glad they did because these are the two extremes that the sarah hooker character is going to go from she goes from yuri to ben and yeah and here they are face to face
0: cage not only sells the like he he gets rid of all the stuff at home he not only sells his watch but he also sells his car and so he's just kind of hanging around las vegas i think you can sort of tell when like elizabeth Shue is on the state or she's trying to pick up Arlie Ermy. that like she's got other things on her mind it's like she's this is not the life that she wants to live anymore or at least not the life she wants to live right now like she she met this like really interesting broken man and she wants to spend time with him so she goes out to look for him and she finds him uh, sitting on a park bench near nuns passing out pamphlets and they, they have this like little conversation and she's like I, I was looking for you tonight.
4: Hi So where's your car?
2: I sold it this morning. i are gonna take cabs from now on in.
4: So what's it tonight? Another 500 to watch you sleep?
2: What's up? I was looking
3: for you tonight. I don't know if you have a boyfriend. Or girlfriend, but if you have some free time, I thought maybe we could get some dinner. Are you serious? Oh, I think you know I'm serious. I'll pay you if you like, but I just want to see you.
4: I can't have dinner with you.
3: You could get prime rib. We've got it on sale for two ninety-nine.
1: I love that dress. Yeah, I love that they're sitting in front of Bally's as well. <laughs> Shout out to Bally's from Honeymoon in Vegas. Yeah. Also, as he's talking, she just kind of walks away and gets into a cab, and he doesn't even notice that she leaves. Uh, I think it's at the point where he asks her on a date, you know, like, let's go get dinner instead of... She is looking for, like, a proposition, and he's looking for a date, and that's not what she's expecting, so she just kind of walks away on
0: him. And so she's not able to get any money from Cage. Like, she's not going to have this quick, you know, $300 per hour, whatever. And so she goes back to Yuri. She goes back to the hotel room where he's staying this is when he's like ready to die he hears the people in the next room ready to kill him and she leaves i think she probably sort of knows like that's the last they're never going to see each other and so i guess really without having anything else to do for the rest of the movie, she's still a prostitute. I guess she's just keeping all the money herself? Like, what happens when your pimp dies? Like, you just (laughs) keep the money yourself?
1: I assume that's why she sort of was in Vegas. She skipped out on Yuri from L.A. and, because he kind of has that talk. He's like, you like the high life now? And he's like, what? Like, Yuri not good for you? And all this kind of stuff? And he's like, you don't need to be afraid of me. I'm not hurt you. We find out, like, he did cut her, like, a couple times. Like, he does hurt her. (laughs) He is a dangerous guy, even if he is sort of a screw up. so i think now that he's dead she can get on with what she's doing in in vegas which is being like working for herself so like yeah when your pimp dies you pretty much work for yourself and, and you get to keep all the money
0: and so after yuri dies i guess whether she just like doesn't have a purpose anymore or basically has the night off or like isn't in like an immediate bind to go get money to pay him she goes and she meets cage at the restaurant for dinner and they have like, they, like it's like their first date she asks him like a question I think she asks him, why are you a drunk he's basically like that's a pretty heavy question like this is either going to be our first date or our last and she says oh no it's our first date so
4: why are you a drunk
3: why am I drunk why, is that really what you want to ask me
4: yes
2: well
3: then this is our first date or our last. Until now, I wasn't sure it was either.
2: First.
4: It's our first. I I just want to know. Why are you killing yourself?
3: Interesting choice of words. I don't remember. I just know that I want to.
4: Are you saying that you're drinking as a way to kill yourself?
3: Or killing myself as a way to drink.
4: Very clever.
1: I love how he does that trick with the match where he lights a match with one hand. Oh, he's
0: still so smooth.
1: I learned how to do that in high school. (laughs) <laughs> i was a smoker and i like someone had told me about that move and i was like i gotta learn how, and i think to this day i could probably still do that move it's been a while since i've had to light anything this part is um it reminded me of that scene in it could happen to you when him and bridget fonda are having dinner it's <laughs> it's like the mirror mirror version of that it's like the dark world version you know the darkest timeline version of that there's something kind of endearing though about like this drunk and this hooker you know like they're these two people that in reality i'd never would think i would have any sympathy for and yet like i hope they get help and you know i want them to make it
0: and like what's kind of interesting is like as quickly as we're falling in love with these characters like it just you hope that they make it this is only the second time they've spent time with each other and she already like feels responsible for him right like they're leaving and like, he's really drunk because he's really drunk the whole movie and she's like why don't you come back to my place like you're in no condition of you know be on your own tonight why don't you come back to my place he's saying you know i'm seeing my best self and she's like it's not about sex like i want Want you. you need help right now. Listen, I have the most wonderful.
2: Ben,
4: why don't you stay at my place tonight? I mean, look, you're pretty drunk. I like you, I, I trust you. Wow. wow. Well,
2: that's, that's astonishing, Sarah. I, mean, I just
4: hate to think of you in that cheesy motel. Well,
2: look, I'm going to move to a real smart hotel tomorrow if I make you feel better. Let's talk about tomorrow. Um, You want to do something?
4: Yeah, sure, but we're going to talk about it tonight, at my place.
2: I'm, I'm not much good in the sex,
3: Sarah.
4: <laughs> ben, it's not about sex. I'm going to make you up a bed on the sofa. We're going to talk till late, we're going to sleep till late, because you know I am my own boss. Do it, Ben.
1: <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, this this whole like come to my house thing you know and he he's sort of like you can never ask me to stop drinking and like when she says okay to that it's almost i felt like in a strange way this weird marriage that she just committed to you know like in a lot of ways it's like she's gonna use him for her own ends you know she needs to work on herself as a person or whatever she needs to be more honest with herself and she's gonna work on herself by using this guy because he's gonna be oblivious to being used she even says at one point where he's like this is a good thing and this and then she's like no i I'm using you. And he's like, well, I'm kind of using you too. We're using each other. There's like this weird unspoken agreement.
0: Kind of like in the Jerry Maguire sense, like you complete me. Like, <laughs> she's tired of feeling used. That comes with the territory of being like a prostitute. Like you are, to many of these like people, you're just like an object. They feel like because they're paying you, they can treat you however they want. And she sort of feels like she can be herself around Cage. And she's kind of surprised by that because just a few nights ago or the night before or whenever it was he was just like one of her tricks and now she's just like they're 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 so close like they're intimately close with each other not in the in the compromising sense but just emotionally that's when like she wants him to move in he's he's hesitant at first right
1: i think he's just trying to sort of protect her from himself in a way at that point yeah ultimately you know because he does go with her you know and they end up kind of spending a lot of time together like it's just really interesting how committed and on a one track like nick cage is right like he knows exactly who he is and what he wants out of life you know (laughs) he's a drunk that wants to die and elizabeth Shue, sort of she never knew who she was she's like a different person every night or like several different people every night Mm -hmm. depending on who she's hooking up with so yeah this whole movie is sort of like for the first time he's helping her in a weird way discover who she really is.
0: He tells her like right up front, he's like this is not going to be forever. Like this is like a short-term thing. He tells her that she's like an antidote that mixes with the liquor and keeps him balanced.
4: When is your rent coming up at the motel? What do you mean? I mean that I think you should go and and bring all your stuff over here.
2: Sarah Sarah, you are crazy. So? Don't you think you'll get a little bored living with a drunk?
4: Well, that's what I want.
2: You haven't seen the worst of it. These last few days I've been very controlled. But I knock things over and, and throw up all the time. I mean, right now I feel really good. like some kind of antidote mixes with the liquor and keeps me in balance
0: but that won't last forever she could see like he needs her to be his best self but then he brings it right back down he's like that that won't last forever like i'm going to die soon i'm going to spend three hundred dollars a day on alcohol drink enough to shut down my body
1: (laughs) yeah it's crazy like what a it's just a marathon for this guy and like I wondered at one point is this even possible like pro- I wondered if he would be dead by then you know already would he even make it to Vegas if you're drinking and driving that much like he probably would have been in a ditch
0: I don't know if he would have made his way to Vegas I guess that's part of the movie magic that you know he's made his way out here and his final condition for agreeing to move in well he's sort of got two the first one is that he's gonna pay them first month's rent because it just it just works better it feels better for him that way but the other one is that he tells her, you can never, never ask me to stop drinking. She says yes, but you can tell in the way that she says yes that she doesn't really mean it. She's saying it just so that she can spend more time with him and get close to him.
4: Don't you like me, Ben?
0: Sarah,
2: what you don't understand is, no, see, no.
4: What?
2: You can never Never ask me to stop drinking. Do you understand? I do.
4: I really do.
0: It's right after that that they really have their first kiss. I mean, earlier in the movie when they're when they first spend time with each other, like she goes down on him. He's not into it. Like he doesn't want that. He just sort of gives in because that's what she's doing. That's that's who she is. But this is like their first kiss, like this is like when that real kind of relationship truly begins.
1: Yeah, and they try and do like normal people's stuff too and it just never like goes well like he tries to go out and get them breakfast but the diner isn't open so he goes to the bar to wait for the diner to open and gets into a fight there like he can't you know like he just can't function like on his own and then they try to go like a shopping mall and cause a scene there as well they're just causing scenes like everywhere they go because it's obvious like she's a hooker and he's drunk
0: they keep trying to like live that normal life so after he agrees to move in right he goes back to his hotel the whole year in and he packs up all his stuff or really he packs up his alcohol and his one suit and he moves in and he gets to her like apartment complex falls asleep on his suitcase outside her gate and I think this is kind of the, the beginning of the end for her tenure as a resident there because the, the landlords are not very happy that he's sleeping outside their gate and why would they be? But she comes in with all these bags and she has presents for him and she tells him, she's like, I'm in love with you. I thought he said it
1: first. Like, she gives him the flask. He, like, can't believe that she would think of giving him a flask. It's, like, the most amazing thing in the world to him. I'll tell
3: you right now, I'm in love with you, but be that as it may, I am not here to force my twisted soul into your life. I know that. We both know I'm a drunk. And I know you're a hooker. I hope you understand that I'm a person who is totally at ease with this, which is not to say that I'm indifferent Or I don't care I do simply means I trust and accept your judgment
4: I was really worried about how that would be but no I'm not but you should know that included with the rent around here is a complimentary blowjob
3: (laughs) oh yes (laughs) I suppose, sooner or later, we ought to fuck.
4: (laughs) Whatever that means. Open your presents.
2: Presents!
1: (laughs) And then they go out, and that night, and he's wearing the red shirt, and they, like, make out at the casino, and he kind of knocks over someone's coins, and when he goes to pick them up, she kind of whispers, I love you.
0: He realizes how broken he is. I don't know if she doesn't realize it or just doesn't want to believe it. She needs him to feel whole, and he's like, don't rely on me. Don't depend on me. Like, I love you, but, like, this is not going to last.
1: Yeah, I think it's, like, the way I was feeling, too, sometimes is, like, he's got to call it off at some point. You know, like, he just can't... like no one can just go through with this like everybody could get help and i think that's something that she's clinging to in the back of her mind that like bad as it is now like when it gets worse i'll get him help you know i'll always be able to get him to a doctor or i'll get him to stop and you know i think that's what she's kind of telling herself in order for her to be able to stay with him you know she's gotta lie to herself to some degree i mean i'm not exactly sure why else she's in love with him i mean because it's someone that she can take care of and mother and yeah there's no way anyone's getting him to stop that is apparent
0: the next thing that happens like a very clear example that no one's going to be able to get him to stop is when they're in the casino and they're playing blackjack and he kind of Like, he's so drunk that he kind of begins to hallucinate, and he thinks he's with his wife and his kid, or he thinks he's having an argument with his wife, and he flips out and, like, flips the blackjack table, and they get thrown out. Then they go back to her apartment, and he, like, wakes up in the middle of the night. Like, he blacks out, and we, as the movie watchers, sort of black out. Like, we just cut to him waking up. We don't know how they got there, and he is in, like, complete withdrawal and has to go into the refrigerator and drink whatever alcohol he can find and then crawls in the bed with her and it's basically like I don't remember what happened like what What do we do?
1: Yeah this is the the nightshakes are oh, those, those are really scary moments in this movie I don't know like you just really see the withdrawal and like he plays it so freaking well you know like he can hardly move or hold like a cup or hold the, the orange juice. He gets into the bed and that's when he calls her the angel of my drunken fantasies she'll be sort of his angel you know throughout this like leading him all the way up to the afterlife
0: and then she says no i'm not i'm not your angel i'm i'm just using you i need you she says like one word in that exchange that really sort of changes and i'm not sure if it's like a good thing or a bad thing for his mental state right now but she says we like he finally realizes like they are a we it's not just like two people spending time until he dies right like they are like this unit this couple what happened
4: They wanted to carry you out and dump you onto the street But I talked them into letting me walk you out
3: That's impressive How'd you do that?
4: I told them you were an alcoholic And that I would take you home And that we would never go in there ever again We? Yes, we.
3: It's amazing. What are you? Some sort of angel visiting me from one of my drunk fantasies? How can you be so good?
4: I don't know what you're saying. I'm just using you.
0: I need you. I I don't know if it saves him because he's not like a real downward dark spiral. I don't know if it brings him back up or just continues because like the next morning he goes out and gets into that fight at the bar because it is sort of like a revelation right that she refers to them as we like is that a good thing for him or is that a bad thing
1: it's definitely a turning point it's not something that he accounted for you know it's going to complicate things eventually you know not for him but you know i don't think he's trying to drag anyone down with him right he wants the casualties to remain at one basically himself you know at first it like yeah like it gives him a bit of a bounce, you know, to himself and, like, yeah, he, he has, like, this accessory, this girl that he can be with and have fun with while he's drinking himself to death and all right. that and everything. But, yeah, ultimately it's, like, commitment then, you know. They even act more like a couple and sort of welch on their deal a little bit, right? They make this sort of agreement, like, he understands that she's a prostitute and she has to go out and, and she understands that he's a drunk and he's never going to stop drinking. And after this weed business, it's sort of Starts getting to them when she has to go out and work and she's like, I worry about you because, you know, I can't watch you while you're drinking and all that business starts to come to the surface.
0: I guess you could say the, the way that I want to answer my own question before, but like just like looking or thinking about like what happens next, I think it is probably a good thing. Because he goes out to this bar and he's feeling a little frisky, and he gets into that fight with this like sort of like punk rock girl, Shawnee Smith, is having a fight with her like bike, biker boyfriend, and he's just like friendly and flirty with her, and it leads to him getting punched. But then he goes out, like he goes out to get her breakfast, like we were talking about earlier. But he comes back with earrings for her. And, like, it's sort of, like, a really nice gesture. It's, like, a thing that, you know, after his darkest moment, like, she sort of brings him back up, right? And, like, he's able to have enough awareness of the world around him, common human decency that he's able to do a nice thing for her. But then there was something about
1: that when he gives her the earrings, he makes like a really super mean comment, I think. I don't know if he meant to make it or like it just came out, but it was one of those things where it's like, I'm going to slip up, I'm going to be clumsy, I'm going to get violent, I'm going to say shit I don't mean. That's just part of the alcoholism. They both, he kind of, you can see in his face, like he regrets it. He says something along the lines of...
0: She's trying to put the earring on and she's having a tough time and he like leans over to like help her? And he says, like, you'll feel the metal behind your ear when your John is, like, smashing your head into that pillow or, like, holding your head down as the pillow on the bed. He just sort of, like, leans back. She's stunned. And, like, I guess, like you were saying, like, you know, like, if that just comes with the territory... like, this is like the kind of thing I'm going to say because I don't have control over what I'm doing or what I'm saying. It's awful.
1: He has that look in his eye where he's like, look, like, you know, this is why we can't be together. You know, he's like, and he gets up and he actually starts to leave and she calls for him. Right. But he probably would have just kept walking because she sort of proposes all this craziness to him in the first place it wasn't his idea to live with her or any of that he would have been fine at the hole getting drunk there <laughs> all by himself so yeah it's just another one of those moments there i think like this isn't like a good idea you know like we just shouldn't be in this relationship but something about the forces of nature are compelling them to be together it's like that valley girl situation you know it's <laughs> like again it's <laughs> you know we don't belong together but we have to be together
0: but i think like also on a bigger scale like him saying that to her brings him back down like if we're charting his like his mood and his behavior like he was so up like he went out friendly and flirty in the bar and buys her jewelry and then him saying the wrong thing like brings him crashing down because that night she's leaving for work right it's almost like a mom like leaving for work and like leaving her kid alone at night like hey i'm gonna be back in a couple hours you know, if you're still up, we can watch TV. He's just not paying her any mind. And she's like, you know, I know this place out in the desert. Like, we can go there. And he's like, I'd like that. She's so, like, doting on him and just, like, wants to make sure he's okay. And that's, like, when he he just goes out and, like, he's not home when she gets home, right? And, like, it sort of sends him down into this, like, mini, another one of his little mini spirals.
1: It feels forced for them in this moment, right? Like, everything up till now about their relationship has been natural and sort of spontaneous, but now they are sort of walking on eggshells at this moment. And she's not being herself with him. Like, she's already playing a role, right? She's already on the street. Like, she's, like you said, like, she's taking up, like, this mother position as opposed to just treating him like an equal, like, when they met.
0: And so they do go out to this little place in the desert, and, like, she makes it seem like it's, like, you know, Joshua Tree, like, it's like this real spiritual, like, this nice place that only she knows about. And it's just like a motel out in the desert with, like, a little pool. And, like, it's nice, I guess, but it's not, like, anything really special. But it does bring him back up, being, like, a little silly by the pool, talking about how he needs a mix master. He's like, it just mixes everything together. Like, it's something like he just saw on TV, like, an infomercial. He's like, I need one of those. He, like, jumps in the pool and like he's drinking under pool in the pool and he's like kissing her underwater and they get out and they sort of get like a little handsy earlier in the movie he's talking to his tape recorder about how he wants to like lick bourbon off that bank teller's body and like he actually does that here with Elizabeth shoe like she's like t- she takes her top off and she's like pouring alcohol on herself he's really like into it like it looks like they're going to compromise each other and then she's like go to the room like i'll be right there he trips and falls and like breaks this glass table and the moment and the mood and like his upswing it all ends like i guess it's like indicative of how quickly everything can change what was just like this great moment everything's done
1: i love this sequence because it makes me think of like expectations like she's like let's go to this great place in the desert and it just turns out to be the hole in the wall but in the desert you know it's like the hole you're in but you're in a hole in the desert now (laughs) instead and then it's like we're gonna have this romantic weekend and he ruins it and embarrasses them and it's just like at this point they can't really do anything together because one of them is going to screw it up her being you know a lady of the night like she's more willing to sort of get naked poolside during the day you know when other people are staying there and stuff so like that's not exactly a cool move either you know to, to be doing anything like that i don't know you get like these moments where you have the outside world's view of them right like here's a moment where the manager of the hotel comes up and sort of is very nasty to her and in not so many words just tells her to leave and you get some of this with like certain pit bosses you get this in the beginning with nick cage's friends you know it's just like these people are like disgusted by you because you're a drunk or because you're a hooker or because like society has just deemed you to be like this bad person even if you're trying not to be, you know? It's one of those situations.
0: I think it's a real testament to how well this movie is made that, like, Cage breaks the table and the manager comes up. And, like, initially she's nice. Like, Elizabeth Shu's trying to clean it up. She's like, no, don't worry about it. I got it. And Elizabeth Shue basically says something like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, you just had a little bit too much a drink. And the manager says, "Take your loud talk and your rude behavior, and just get out of here in the morning." Immediately, you're like, "Who is this woman to like talk down Elizabeth Shue? Like this woman with a heart of gold? Like you know, obviously not this upstanding role model, but like just like a genuinely good person." And then you like think, "Oh wait, like they're just like two drunk assholes outside, basically having sex in the middle of the day in front of everyone." You're like, "Oh, like they actually are in the wrong." Later in the movie, like you see her after her low point in the movie, right, and she's in that cab and the cab drivers like all the different cab drivers are just belittling her or treating her like a piece of meat it's those situations where you feel for her and you just see like how poorly the world can treat her like in an unfair sense but like in this situation it's like oh right they should be blamed like what they were doing is like not cool
1: yeah the movie does a really good job of creating this bubble universe that the two characters exist in and sort of everything from their perspective is kind of peachy keen and dandy to a large degree if, as long as you're seeing it through their eyes like they're not really behaving that bad but yeah every once in a while like this manager uh someone from the real world will sort of come in and say no you guys are bad <laughs> like no stop it
0: i don't know if it's like all these people sort of yelling at them that gets to her or if she just has like a change of heart the next scene that they're in together she says to him, she's like, I really, really want you to see a doctor. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. She's breaking the contract. Like, the whole agreement was, you're going to let me kill myself. Whatever I can do to help your life, like that's fine. I'm going to kill myself by drinking myself to death. Do not try to stop me. She's falling for him, and she wants him to see a doctor... He's sort of like, we can't do this anymore. Like, you're, if you're not going to respect what I need from this, this isn't going to work.
1: Yeah, it, exactly. Like, again, it's, you know, he's like I told you, basically, right? Like, he, he knew this. I had a feeling like he knew this was going to happen, and that's why he wasn't exactly gung-ho to begin with. But, yeah, she she tries to break the contract, is the way I saw it. And he had never said a word to her about what her end of the bargain whatsoever. So I think that gives... It doesn't give him cause to do what he does next. I think, like it doesn't even cross his mind again. I think what ends up happening happening next is he goes to gamble, right, and sort of picks up another prostitute.
0: So, like, he goes out in the town to gamble, and I don't think it's, like, he might be leaving because he's, like, fed up, he's angry at her for breaking their contract or just like he's gonna live up his life and he goes out to the craps table like this is the first time in, in a little bit in the movie we see the best form of cage right like it's like the one hour like he's at his best it just like hits him like in the middle and it all goes away and we see mariska hargitay of law and order svu who early in the movie was like watching elizabeth shue while she was trying to pick up arlie Ermy. like we just see this like really pretty woman at the bar probably another hooker i think she's only credited as Hooker at bar, and we see her just staring at Elizabeth's shoe, so she's like in her life already without knowing it. She just comes up to Cage, and the first thing she says to him is. Are you in town for the convention?
1: And he basically takes her to their apartment.
0: Not like their apartment. Like it's it's Elizabeth's shoes apartment. Her you know what I mean? Apartment.
1: Yeah, it's her apartment. But I mean, where I mean, it's where he's staying. That's the way I saw it. It's like, oh, she probably said Do you have a place. Let's go back to your place. And then he's not. That's the thing. Is like he's just doing what he said he would be doing. You know, like this is just a whole nother level of his being drunk she comes home and finds him in bed with a different hooker and then she tells him to get out like she basically kicks ben out for good at that point but like this is the thing she doesn't really i don't want to say the right but she doesn't have the right to you know like she this is all part of like the agreement so it's just proving that she kind of can't handle this you know she wasn't up for it
0: well i think she sort of sees their agreement like he's gonna be monogamous to her kind of like that's never he never says that but i feel like that's like what she expects from him yeah yeah but that's the problem
1: like she expects from him you know what i'm saying like i think that like she doesn't fully accept the gravity of his situation like there's truly no saving his life whatsoever
0: she explicitly breaks his contract and she feels like even though he doesn't she feels like he breaks hers. But, right, like there is, like, a disconnect there. It's not the deal that they agreed upon. And so she does kick him out. And, like, like, this is her lowest point in the movie for a lot of reasons, right? Like, she, this man that she was falling in love with or that she was in love with, right, she just kicked out. He just broke her heart, even though it, he didn't have to love her. He still broke her heart. She goes out to do, like, I guess, sort of to get her mind off things, to go do her job. And she runs into these three frat guys who like, you know, right off the bat, this is not going to end well. They bring her back to their hotel room and they beat and rape her
1: this director is, like, insane because the realism in this sequence was, like, chilling, you know? Like, it was so uncomfortable to watch this sequence of, like, you know, she goes to the hotel room, and there's four freaking, like, college guys, and her. She's gotta be in some kind of self-destructive mode because she's thinking about Ben and where is he and what's he doing and all this stuff. Like, there's no way she's walking into this situation of sound mind, you know? So, like, all the already i just knew something terrible was going to happen
0: and she tries to gain control of the situation right like she's like all right one at a time it's 200 dollars. like it's lower than her rate we sort of get a sense of the hooker marketplace a little bit like cage offers her 500 dollars in the beginning of the movie she's like oh for that amount of money like you can do whatever you want just like just keep it out of my hair but like you can even like do me in the ass for that much and then like these kids are only giving her 200 and there's four of them So, like, she's like, it's going to be one at a time, like, no funny business, like, everybody go downstairs except one at a time, you're going to take turns. She tries to leave, and then, like, throw her back on the bed, and then, like, just, like, punch her multiple times and rape her they just treat her like garbage they treat her like a piece of meat
1: yeah and they're videotaping it and they're just like heckling her and the worst part well i mean probably not the worst part but another just on top of all this she's wearing one of the earrings that nick cage gave her as a gift and her face is being like beaten into a pillow this weird premonition that came true Yeah.
0: yeah after they've had their fun after they've had their fill They let her go, and she takes the cab back to her apartment, and she gets back, and I guess because she shows up like this, and between, like, you know, Cage showing up drunk and her coming back and, like, dressing the way she's dressing, which, by the way, in terms of, like, 2015, like, 20 years later, like, the way she's dressing is not, like, super provocative, but, like, everybody in this movie, like, instantly knows she's a hooker? That's kind of weird.
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny. Are you saying by 2015 standards she looks fine, but (laughs) if someone from 2015 were to go back in 95, they'd look like a hooker?
0: I guarantee you, if you go to Las Vegas, like, right now, in the first five minutes you're there, you can find, like, 25 people who are not hookers dressed way more slutty than she is in this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she's walking through the casino at one point, and that, like, foreign, you know, high roller puts, like, chips down her shirt.
1: Oh, yeah. And, like,
0: it's, it's... all we have to go on is that, like, based on her look and based on her demeanor or whatever, that he knows that she's a prostitute. She's not dressed that slutty. I mean, I guess, you know, in t- 20 years, like, a lot of things change. It's the way she's dressed. It's the way that she looks. The, it's the way that she sits down. The cab driver has a really—he's like, "Did you get an unexpected backdoor delivery?" I was like, "Come on, guy! Like, let's let's knock it off." But like her coming back at odd hours and just being beaten—I guess it's enough for the landlords to know what her actual occupation is, and they're like, "You have to be out by the end of the week."
1: Yeah, it seems like they've put up with more than we've witnessed. You know, I have a feeling Cage was living there for—you know—if we—if we only saw what the movie showed us of Cage living, there, imagine what we didn't see. You know, like sure. the late nights screaming about his kid and stuff like that probably waking up the landlord and everything else and then we get another sort of sequence that we've gotten in a couple other cage movies where we get like this person that's just kind of sleepwalking through the streets you mentioned this is sort of the part where like the foreign high rollers just like put like money in her bra or when like the pit boss kicks her out of the casino and stuff like she just sort of is like broken and roaming around Las Vegas and like keeping an eye out for Ben they say in war you get like the 40 yard stare
0: or something yeah
1: it's like she's got like the prostitute version of that going on
0: i feel bad like saying this like like nothing's going on like the next thing that happens she gets the call from cage that like he's about to die so she's just been kicked out of her, like she's been beaten and raped kicked out of her apartment treated like garbage by the world and then the next thing is that this man that she loves that she just had to like show tough love to and kick out he's like hey i'm dying like basically you might want to come over <laughs> yeah
1: this is Last call for Ben, basically. <laughs> and it's crazy when she gets to his room, and he's like on his deathbed. Like that's what it looks yeah. like. Like he's yeah. he's like got that dry heaving almost and there's he's down to one bottle of booze, like it's dark.
0: <laughs> Which in his defense that means he planned it out pretty perfectly. Like, you know <laughs> I
1: wish we had like a uh, subtitle of the days counting down. You know like Days in,
0: and Bottles.
1: Yeah, days and bottles, like take one down, pass it around like every time we <laughs> saw him on screen.
0: Kind of like that one episode of futurama where it's you know 300 big boys or fries drinking 100 cups of coffee there's that little counter in the bottom right but like instead of going from zero to 100 it's going from you know 100 down to zero he calls her and says that you know you're my angel i want to see you they say to each other like he's like you know i love you right and she says yes the last thing he does i guess is that like he gets an erection and they compromise each other while they're doing that he dies
1: i thought he dies when they climax right like she kind of crawls on top of him and they it seems like they have sex for like a little bit uh and then right as as they finish yeah i think like that's the last breath in his body but they kind of cut to the morning and he wakes up and he just looks at her and says wow and then he dies for real.
0: He sort of has his death rattle, right? Like he has this, like his <laughs> final exhale, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and his hand releases, and then we cut to her one more time in like her psychiatrist's office, and just saying, you know, uh, we we both didn't have much time. I really loved him. It's, like, heartbreaking. Like, you know, he got his release, but in this world, like, I can't imagine that she's going to, like, live too much. You know what I mean? Like, she she gave everything she had to him, even though she shouldn't. Like, that's her own fault. She gave him everything that she had, and, like, he's gone. Like, like, things are not going to go well for her.
1: It's one of those endings where I wondered, like, you know, I have a good version and a bad version of her life, you know, in my head. Like, I get this one version where, you know, she finds out that he got her pregnant and she decides to, like, keep his baby and raise it and become, like, a good mother and get straight. And then I have this other version where she continues to just lie to herself, gets into more trouble on the Vegas Strip and ends up in a ditch, like, two weeks later herself or something. So it's, like, this weird ending because she seems happy, but nothing really happy, you know, she doesn't really have any cause
0: to be. So I wonder
1: if that last shot of her talking and stuff is, again, she's like, is she lying to herself? Is she honest with herself? It's kind of ambiguous to me.
0: Well, she might be lying to herself, but she also might be, the, the only way that I can see that she might be happy is because he's finally happy, right? Like he's no longer broken mm-hmm. and he's at peace finally. What can make her happier than the man she loves being happy or no longer being in pain? So I can see that sort of being I would love the good ending. Like I loved I would love that she gets pregnant and that she decides to raise the kid, but like I don't think that's the ending that this movie has been setting up. Like I think <laughs> you don't. I don't <laughs> I, I don't believe it or not. This very depressing suicidal movie. I don't think that's the ending that we get. (laughs) Also, like surprisingly little cage connections. Like aside from Elizabeth Shue popping up, I don't know. I've never seen City of Angels. I don't know how much she's in it. Like nobody else in this movie is ever in a cage movie again. Like this is sort of a standalone, no crossover. This is just it. It's his critically most successful role of all time.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Like, I mean, like, he told, you know, this is definitely one of those Oscar-worthy performances, you know? Like, I don't wonder, like, I don't see him taking this movie thinking, like, oh, this is, like, Oscar bait, like you say, you know? Like, certain movies are, right? Like Kate Winslet says, you know? Holocaust or AIDS, like, (laughs) then you got an Oscar. So I'm just glad that this movie was made, you know, with all of the trouble behind the scenes, you know, as far as the... Original author is concerned. There's just a, I'm just glad that they managed to do this. And there's one thing at the end there that was kind of strange, though. Sort of keeping with strange endings of Cage movies, they bring up that freeze frame of Ben at the very oh, yeah. end,
0: kind of kind of like In Memoriam. Yeah,
1: how did that sort of strike you?
0: <laughs> she sort of finishes what she's saying to the psychiatrist, right, and then it fades to black. And then it just cuts up to like a still frame of him just like laughing and then it fades to black again and then the credits roll. I don't know how it struck me, but it feels out of place. It felt out of
1: place. Like it felt like they just didn't want it to end on such a downer, right? Like show this guy that we all grew to love as we watched him kill himself, I guess. But that kind of struck me as the wrong thing as well. So it was just weird to me. I wondered what you thought.
0: It's weird to me too. So next time on Cage Club, we have The Rock. So the next three movies are the big three in terms of the action movies. We have The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off next week, so it's a huge, very exciting week. Leaving Las Vegas is, like, I think... Up to this point, there's a lot of movies that I think you really should watch, but I think there's sort of, like, this is, like, the fourth of, like, the ones that are sort of, like, required viewing, I think. And maybe you disagree, or maybe there's ones that you want to add. But Raising Arizona, Wild at Heart, Red Rock West, Leaving Las Vegas. I think those are the four that, like... If you if you don't want to watch everything, if you want to watch like the best of the best, I think those are the four. So like this is like one of those great ones. But if you're just sort of like we were saying earlier, eating your vegetables to get to the candy, get to dessert, that is these next action movies. You've made it. We're almost there.
1: Uh, I like your choices a lot. I might throw Valley Girl in there just because it was a leading role so early on, you know, it, okay. just just to sort of see his uh, abilities then and stuff. But otherwise, yeah, those those other ones, those are the big four. I agree wholeheartedly with that, and those are some really strong films.
0: If you want to catch up on those movies that we just talked about, if you've missed them in Cage Club, go to cageclub.me. You can read our reviews for those movies. You can hear the podcast for those movies. You can follow us on Twitter, you can subscribe on iTunes, do all that sort of fun stuff. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. Hey, and we'll see you next time on Cage Club. Hey,
1: hey, hey.
0: My heart is fine. Crying, crying.